Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And you know what got me started? What made sure my voice got out there? It was Anchor. And why did I choose Anchor to host my podcast? Well, easy. It was free. And they have all these amazing tools built right into the app. So it's really easy to get started and get your voice out there. And the best part, they make sure to distribute your podcast everywhere it needs to go. Like Apple, Google, Spotify, and so much more. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're listening to Musings of Modern Muslims with Freeney. Episode 7, Deal With It, Part 2. Well, everyone, coronavirus has kind of taken over everything. And whenever you turn on the news or open up your socials, it's only about COVID, which I will cover in my next episode. And you know what? I'm going to get an expert on this. But this episode is a continuation of my conversation with Dr. Shiza Mosin, a licensed marriage and family counselor with specialization in South Asian communities. We discuss how parents should behave with kids seeking help and how important faith leaders are for this effort. So without further ado, here's Shiza and my conversation on mental health. A few more questions, and I know you're very busy. Thank you again for taking the time to do this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So uh, some, but not all, Muslim homes have hierarchies in place where parents are always right, uh, daughters don't speak to dads just because there's like this hidden, like invisible wall, um, and moms don't talk to sons because like, oh, that's the father's job and this is the mother's job. This sometimes limits communication, which I think it actually all the time limits is which in turn can exacerbate mental illness. How does one overcome this? Besides just saying, oh, communicate more, which is the easy answer. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I wish I had a simple answer for that because it, it differs for every family system, mm-hmm. Faheen. So what you gave are the classic examples of the cultural differences yes. uh, with immigrant parents raising children in the West. So think about it. You grow up in a culture and and you know you are a, a byproduct of that where right. <laughs> where your school is saying men and women are equal yes but when you go home the brothers and the fathers don't have to clean up the table no. it's only the 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 daughters Orders. and the moms mm-hmm. uh, where the brothers can go out and stay late but the 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 sisters cannot story of my life um, <laughs> where the brothers could technically have a, a romantic life but the sisters are not allowed so the gender bias is a big yes. thing the other thing is the cultural difference in communication so i'll give you an example so many parents because i do a lot of parenting um uh, will come to me in the beginning and saying she is so disrespectful he is so disrespectful yeah. now what does that look like now i understand disrespect if that means you're using bad words or you're you know continuously raising your voice or saying you know um, blasphemous words yeah but that's not that no it's basically giving your own opinion yes saying no mm-hmm. and give asking a reason uh, from your parents as to why you should do something. Exactly. That is considered disrespect. Yes. It's like, how dare she ask me, I'm the father. Yeah. How dare she defy me? What is a defiance? Well, I don't want to go to this dinner 
because I don't know anybody there. Yeah, I get bored and I can't connect. Well, you're being disrespectful. Yeah, um, uh, she would or the girl or the daughter or the son will not engage with the uncle or auntie. Yeah, and did not uh, talk to them, which was disrespectful. Yes. So disrespect is culturally charged, yes. and your child is you're losing connection with your child with every time you judge your child like that. Yeah. So, so there is a lot of that happening where parents just, you know, we are, we are giving as heritage to our children a loyalty to a behavior that is not going to serve our family well. Very well said. <laughs> That's beautifully said. Along the same lines, because uh, Islam and, and mosques, this kind of idea is also perpetuated because you always hear yes. the same statements. You all, like... They always say, oh, you know, respect your parents. But also there's quotes in Islam that say, you know, children are the kings of your house until they're seven. Absolutely. Like I know that there's a saying uh, by Imam Ali that says from ages zero to seven, they are the kings of your house. From seven to 14, you have to teach them everything you can to make them good Muslims. And then 14 plus, they are your advisors. An advisor is like, okay. And most I think parents, South Asians don't see their kids on equal footing ever they will never ask them for advice absolutely you know i i will share like growing up so i grew up in a household where my dad was extremely empowering yeah and my mom was the traditional one yeah and so i got to see the diversity in yeah. what that does to a, a girl's voice yes when her father is feeding her spine he is feeding her self-confidence yes I felt and I have always felt like I can do anything and it's not because um, you know of my mother's uh, a very valuable upbringing in many of the ritualistic uh, practices but it's my father saying you know you can do this there is no difference and uh, it is such a big big so uh, you know we want our children to be successful when a way to for them to be successful is that unconditional love that we can give them at home yes you know so many times children parents will report to me Farheen it's it's adorable South Asian parents that children dismiss us all the time they say mom you don't know yeah because we're immigrants and we didn't go to school here Whenever we give our children advice, they're like, mom, you have no idea. Yeah. Dad, you don't know this. Yeah. And I advise parents all the time, come first in love. Yeah. Don't come first in knowledge. Yes. Don't compete with them on what you know more yeah. or what they know more. They are children. They are our leaders of tomorrow. They yeah. will always know more. Yes. But come first in love. Beautiful. <laughs> Nobody else will love you the way I do. Yes. That's where you want to come first. You don't want to come first in, I know more about the career you should choose yes. or the high school AP class that you should be taking mm-hmm. and how you should be organizing your studies and who you should be meeting. No, no. Come first in love. That's where a parent has an advantage. Definitely. And that's, I think, the that's a beautiful point that they have the advantage because as parents, we do give, un, we have unconditional we love for our children. We want to love we them. We compete in the wrong space. Yes. And yes. you know, so many times my friends will ask me, like, you don't talk much. Mm-hmm. And my children will tell me, you know, she's such a goof. If you talk to my children, yeah. we're doing funny stuff. Yes. They're picking on me or criticizing me and telling me how bad I sing. Yes. And or uh, how my food was barely edible today. <laughs> and uh, and we're just goofing off. I give advice very, I just 
my goal is to create a safe yes. space so they can come talk to me about and anything that's and that's what i'm trying to do with my boys because everyone people come to me all the time they're like Fahim, you don't even have girls why do you talk about empowering women and, and i was like well i have boys who will eventually hopefully be with and, and you know what they only not just not just their wives they might have daughters they might have co-workers they might have many other people in their life who are female who will need them to Absolutely. be empowering them as well and i'll give you a tip for your listeners to think about when when we talk about children and teenagers and the cultural yeah. disrespect thing and and that hierarchy educating our children in our cultural beliefs is a very important thing yes. not shoving it down their throat mm-hmm. but a very creative way and i share this with many parents is to educate children about your triggers yeah say you know what um when you talk ah. to me like this in other people's presence yes. it makes me very conscious because i didn't grow up like this yeah it's a cultural difference and i know it and i yeah. know you don't mean it but can i please ask you to not talk to me like this in front of others yes you can when we're in at home you can be passionate but i want you to exercise respect because i get triggered yes just educating them in that way and that's saying you are such a shameful disrespectful child yes. who does misbehave all the time yes that, that's a good point because i think in 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 the south asian and especially the muslim society it's you even though i just said that you can you are allowed to come to your child's level somehow parents take the teachings like oh no i am a, the boss of everything yes. and you have to listen to me no matter what yeah and part of it actually is because that's how we were raised yes. right yes. you know i remember uh, the this very common statement you're going to do this but why do i have to do this because i'm your mom and i said yes. it well if we today children are children of reason They, they are. need to know why. They're analytical. They're they need reason. They need a why and a, and like citations, a bibliography attached with it. Absolutely. Like why? Absolutely. <laughs> I just wanted a writing sample for my uh, you know middle schooler, and I said, can you send me a writing sample? Uh, you know, for this, the biggest mistake I made was didn't tell her. Yeah. The response that came was why? Yeah. Why do you need my writing sample? What are you doing with it? Yes. And so I could do. choice A which actually was my trigger going how dare you like yes. how <laughs> dare you think i don't have your best interest at yes. heart and yep. question me asking for that yeah. and then i had to control that and ask my second thought and say you know what i need to explain to her well this is why i need it yes. and this is the reason and you know and then the response was like okay i'll get it to you by tomorrow yeah i i find that even with my boys if i reason with them especially the older one cuz now he's getting to the you know 10 10 year old in that age that okay we're doing this because abc it makes more even with religion sometimes he will ask me and it's funny because some of those questions are ghosts of the past cuz i asked the same question and the response i would get like oh because they said so this said so and now it's more of the again bibliography citations so it's like oh we do this because this 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 does that make sense to you and he might say yes or no and it's like okay if it doesn't make sense to you how can i make sense and it's 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 more involved active parenting absolutely it's engaging it's respectful yep. you know you get respect by giving respect yes. a lot of times in our culture we forget that we have to respect our children yes <laughs> we we forget that and uh, okay so let's move away from pa- uh, children how do you think faith leaders can help mental health professionals so if you know that you have a client that's muslim and you want to work and and the person strongly identifies as muslim or whatever and they feel like and you feel like hey this person is very close to this so and so faith leader how can they help you as a professional beautiful and what a great question you're asking farheen i want to tell you that it's very important for faith leaders as well as mental health counselors to work 
collaboratively. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, it is so important. I'll give you an example. At one of the mosques, uh, you know, I have a couple of imams that reach out to me yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, and they will say, you know, sister, I'm forwarding you this person and this is their issue and that is, and you know, yeah. and I will say, um, and I will say to this particular one that is very, very pro mental health and yeah. support. And I said, Imam, have you talked to them? I'm sure given their background as you're describing them, I don't know if they'll want to, especially the husband will want to get, get counseling. They'll mm. probably want to, um, talk to you. Yeah. And, and, and one time he was on the phone with me and he laughed and he's like, okay, I know my job. Yeah. I went to Al Azhar University. Yeah. So I know where my job stops yeah. and where yours begins. Yes. So will you let me do my work and do your work? And <laughs> and I was laughing. Yeah. I was like, I wish I could record what you're saying. Yes. On the same token, I never claim to be a religious expert. I, yep. I have worked with and continuously work with Christian couples and families, Muslim couples and families, Hindu couples and families, uh, Jewish um, or multi-cultural uh, couples and families, anytime there is a faith conflict, I have my panel ready Good to say, you know what, let me call in this person. If you don't have a person of preference, engage me with them. Okay. So we can help you together because I will never claim to be a religious expert. Similarly, I will invite faith leaders mm -hmm. to not claim to be mental, mental health experts. and relational experts yes. if they don't have the training. Yes. Now, if they have the training, absolutely. Yeah. You have no idea how many marriages show up in my office on ventilators. And part of the reason is some of the ill advice that, that the got. religious counselor gave them yes. or are claiming to be religious counselor where they were a religious leader. Yep. And, uh, and you know, it, it's so easy to take that out of context and ruin a family. Yes. So I would invite religious leaders to collaborate with mental health professionals. That's perfect because that way I think it will also validify it that, hey, if um, we like if a faith leader feels that, hey, I know someone who can help you, then a person might be more agreeable to it. They might say that, hey, uh, yeah, if my, my priest, my rabbi, my imam recommend I come to you, and they might trust that person so much that they're like, hey, Absolutely. I will see you. Absolutely. And the same goes for them where I'll be like, you know, this sounds like a religious issue. I yeah. want you to get perspective. Okay. And I would like you to connect me with your religious leader so we can come up with the way that sits well with you. Yeah. Because everyone practices religion differently. Yep. So, so there has to be understanding that this is a spectrum. Yes. In how we absorb the faith in how we're going to absorb uh, mental health education based on our family system. Yep. It looks different for everyone. Yep, perfect. And then I just have a few more questions. I know you're super busy, so we'll get through these really quickly. Aspects of a person's faith could be part of the problem, but mental health providers also need to acknowledge that religion or the religious community could be part of the solution. How can non-Muslim therapists do that, especially because of Islamophobia and the inherent you know, biases that might you know, they try to be unbiased, but just because society has these biases, how can they be better? You know, I think as a community, we need to be a little bit more um, proactive in educating non-Muslim therapists. Yep. You know, Farin, the reality is, and I get so excited every time, you know, at least right now, two 
two people in a month reach out to me mm-hmm. to get more information Good. from our community on getting a degree in mental health. And I get so excited because the more of us there are, the better it is. Yes. But the reality is we can never, for the next decade or so, level up to the number of non-Muslim practitioners. Yes. So, uh, so we definitely, so I'll tell you one thing that I do at least three times a year, I will accept an engagement where I'm educating non-Muslim therapists nice. on our culture. Uh, like in April, I have a forum that I'm speaking to about the five things you need to know about uh, counseling multicultural families. Nice. Uh, so so as a practitioner, I feel that it is my job yeah. to uh, educate my colleagues. Uh, you know, similarly, I will tell you, so many times my non-Muslim colleagues will reach out to me saying, I have a Muslim client, I have a Hindu client, I have a an Indian uh, person or a person from Pakistan, Bangladesh, who uh, this is the issue, educate me. Good. I do the same. I, I will be working with a Christian couple. There is a dynamic and I know there is a religious cultural issue. I will seek out. So so seeking consultation uh, and, and the answer to your question, Fahin, in all professions, in all religious identities and leadership identities, the biggest, biggest, most responsible and important thing we have to do is know where our expertise stops. That's beautiful. Perfect. And not pretend that we know. And we know it all. <laughs> like it's very important to own your limitations yes. and say, you know what? This is beyond know. the scope of my I just don't expertise. Know. <laughs> I don't know. I can find out for you. Yes. Unfortunately, I'm not the expert. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a free call for all clients, whether they, some of them will call, say we want an appointment. They yeah. won't even, and I'll say, no, I need to talk to you to know if I'm a good fit for you. Nice. If you're a good fit for me and if I can really help you, because if you, if I cannot, I will make sure to refer you to somebody who can, Perfect. because that's just not ethical. Okay. And one last question and then we are done. How is it different to treat a practicing Muslim versus a non-practicing one? Is your approach different in dealing with someone who just may say, I'm Muslim, but I don't practice versus I'm Muslim. And I'm very devout. So this is so interesting. For me, uh, that Muslim label um, is just a label. Okay. Because every person practices and does Muslim different. Yep. So it doesn't matter to me. I scan and I am tracking what their truth is. Okay. So when you walk into my office, whatever your way is of practicing your faith, I will meet you there. It doesn't matter to me because to me every family every individual that walks through my door or comes on my call is unique so I don't have any standard I make my frame of supporting somebody based on what they bring and their truth is something I have to respect nice and I think that will help people feel that hey you know I can approach a counselor or therapist or psychologist because they're gonna cater themselves to me now I'm speaking of myself (laughs) I want to make sure that I preface this yes my um, my approach everybody's different but there's so many talented practitioners out there but I'm sure this is a good question that anyone can ask that hey I am this how do you feel about this and let's see if we're fit I think people have to also learn that you can interview a counselor as much as you do for anything else. I will tell you, Farheen, one of your shows, I and I'm happy to be on it, yes. is how do you choose a mental health, health practitioner yes. and how do you know this is the right fit That's for you? That's a very you? good topic. We can do it here too. We can do that. Yes. Thank you again, Shiza. Thank you for the time. and Thank you so much. This is it's wonderful. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you everyone for listening to that. Two really important points I want to highlight and I took away from this conversation with Shiza is that you have to come with love. 
you need to show compassion and love and kindness no matter who you are, especially parents. In this day and age when things are so busy and changing and nothing stays the same for more than a moment, come with love. Show that you are willing to try to understand, even if you don't get it. If you come with love, come with kindness, come with compassion, you will get farther. And number two, a big point that I firmly believe in, having faith leaders be allies to professionals and not go against them. If your faith leader is someone who feels that they can make up a list of people in the community who can help in various ways, that's great. That shows true community building. And I think that is very important. So if you have a faith leader, you know, someone who's open-minded about these things, discuss it with them. Tell them that, hey, I think it'd be very important if we set up seminars in the mosque and set up workshops for people and families and children. Let's work hand in hand. It's very important. And like I said earlier, my next episode will talk about coronavirus and some of the do's and don'ts. Nothing new, nothing that hasn't been said yet, but I think just hearing it from a professional, someone who I know very well because I'm married to him, it will help. So next time I'll have my husband be my guest and we will talk about coronavirus, you know, where it came from, how it spread, do's and don'ts, best practices. Until next time, everyone, please wash your hands and take care of each other and take care of yourselves and be good. Be safe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at M3Freeny. That's M3FREENI. Email us at M3Freeny at gmail.com.